Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Look, I'm not the pop culture guy. You know me. I don't see a lot of movies. I don't really watch a lot of TV shows. I do get really excited if I watch one and and constantly pepper you to watch it. You blow me off constantly whenever I do that. But I am ready to hand out a pop culture award, uh, a media award already for the best performance uh, in a leading role. It goes to Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Unbelievable on Wednesday oh. night, Andrew. It was a tour de force. You might be thinking I'm talking about the career high 18 assists on the court, the dagger three right in Kawhi Leonard's face. And by the way, where was Kawhi in the fourth quarter of that game? But we don't need to get sidetracked on that. I'm talking about his post-game press conferences. I'm hoping you saw it. I'm hoping the Open Floor Globe saw it because I've got to say, I'm this grizzled war veteran of a cynic NBA writer, been around, seen it all. Kyrie, <laughs> Kyrie's post-game flabbergasted me, gobsmacked me, bamboozled me. He made my head explode at least three times in about a half an hour. And I think we just have to dig in deep to what he was saying. We do. We do. I mean, I hate to double up on the Celtics coverage, two podcasts in a row, but it was that crazy. And uh, it's actually nice to have real news to talk about. I mean, I think at one point we spent 10 minutes talking about what Blake Griffin should have done and whether he should have shook Balmer's hands. And this felt like a real story and, and actually pretty interesting. Let's start off by just playing the clip. Are you cool with that? Please. Oh, yes. I need to relive this masterpiece. <laughs> All right, cool. One second here. All right, here we go. It was a big deal for me because I had to uh, call Bron, you know, and tell him, like, you know, I apologize for being that young player that wanted to everything at his you know, at his fingertips, and I wanted everything to uh, be at, you know, my threshold. I wanted to be the guy that led us to change. I wanted to be the leader. I wanted to be all that, and, you know, the responsibility of being the best player in the world and leading a team is something that's not meant for many people, and Brown was one of those guys that came to Cleveland and tried to really show us, show us what it's like to win a championship, and it was hard for him, and uh, sometimes getting the most out of the group, it's not the easy, easiest thing in the world, and uh, like I said, only few are, are meant for it or chosen for it and you know I feel like the best person to call is him because you know he's been in the situation you know he's, he's been there with me where I've been the young guy of, you know, being a 22 year old kid and, you know wanting everything wanting everything right now you know coming off an all-star year starting and then you know this, this heck of a presence coming back and now I gotta adjust my game to this guy and um, you know you take it personal but at the end of the day he just wants what's best and he has a legacy he wants to leave and he has a window he wants to capture so I think what that brought me back to was like, all right, how do I get the best out of this group of the success they had last year? And then helping them realize what it takes to win a championship. All right, there we go. So there's Kyrie. That video and uh, audio is from my cousin, Chris Grenham, who's actually embedded with the Celtics up there in Boston. Fantastic reporting by Chris. Great kid. I met him at Summer League. Uh, maybe not even a kid. I think he's a full-fledged adult now after he brought that audio to the world. <laughs> he's the man. What do you think here? Okay, so we got a, a number of questions no, from we listeners. We don't need the questions. Clear out. We don't. We I've don't. got Hold takes on. here. Here, listen. Before we, before we get into it, though, we did get like three or four questions from people wondering whether this means that Kyrie is destined to team up with LeBron in LA. And that... 
apart from our listeners, has become a legitimate talking point uh, among national media. Like, I've seen a couple people write about it, and, like, that just seems like the craziest thing in the world to me and, and not really worth spending any time on. So I'm only mentioning it to say that, like, uh, that's insane, and that's kind of a, a not not really the right takeaway from last night. Andrew, we've got leadership philosophical conversations to have here. You want to throw out some insane free agency trade rumors and get a sidetrack? <laughs> Come on. I'm just addressing it. I don't buy into that particular conspiracy theory. I will read a text message that you sent me last night, a series of texts from you. Okay. You said, do I get suckered into this? Is it genuine? Sharp, I need a ruling. I'm just dot, 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 speechless. <laughs> I can't decide <laughs> if I'm morally obligated to call BS or to embrace him completely. One way or another, I'm morally obligated here. So I will now cede the floor to you. What did you make of all that? So I felt a couple different things listening to that and reading the, the tweets last night. The first was when he was first getting into it and people were saying, oh, he called Braun to apologize. He had this leadership like awakening. Uh, at one point, a, a tweet came out uh, from Jay King and Kyrie's admitting, I've got to empower my teammates. Jalen Brown was right. I was just sitting there like a little uh, you know, lab rat who's being fed the sugar water and <laughs> just give it all to me. Like, let me just swig it. Like, send me all of this awakening. I'm so ready for it. Kyrie, this is what I was lambasting you for just a day earlier. And you'll yeah, remember, this is I mean, exactly what you've wanted from him. It felt like a point-for-point hit-em-up uh, uh, response by Kyrie <laughs> to, to, <you? laughs> to me. I mean, he went down every single issue that I had with him, right? And not only that, he did it after he uh, you know, had career-high 18 assists on the court in a big-time matchup where they looked you know, pretty great as a team. Um, yeah. That was a, a tour de force all around. I got to tip my hat to him. Um, so that was my first wave of my reaction, right? But then it started to, to sink in, okay— this is Kyrie Irving that we're talking about, right? Like, he is right. a master uh, media manipulator. He's already kind of let us in on the secret that he loves things that go viral and he loves to kind of manipulate and get different storylines out there, like the flat earth stuff and all of his other crazy conspiracy theories. He's mm-hmm. certainly savvy enough to realize that he definitely overplayed his hand, uh, not only with his comments after the Orlando game, but how he was acting during the Orlando game, the pouting, going at his coach, kind of going at the teammates and all of that stuff. I think there was enough realization that he was in the wrong. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, deep down, we know Kyrie believes that in his version of everything, right? So I think he was looking for an escape hatch here. And he concocted a beautiful <laughs> yeah. escape hatch. I was going to say, because masterful not, strategy from old coffee shop here. Because not only did he apologize to everyone, and those younger guys who you're always saying are looking up to him, like that takes a lot for your leader to apologize. So you have to accept that in good faith, right? But he uh-huh. also shifted the discussion perfectly to this whole LeBron, Kyrie, you know, what was going wrong in Cleveland, now he's grown up. And he actually, the takeaway was supposed to be of look at what a great leader Kyrie is, which, you know, that flipped the whole storyline on its head from 24 hours. And I think if I was in the local media there, I would be completely sold. But as somebody who's had to follow this from a distance and, and his act from a distance for, you know, four, five, six, seven years, dating back to his early years in, in Cleveland where he never wanted the leadership mantle, even though he was their most talented player before LeBron got there. All the tiffs with LeBron, the, the times where he's sort of you know checking out in Cleveland, people don't really know what's up with him. 
it felt to me that's why I said the performance in a leading role. It felt to yes. me very performative, and I I can't actually be bought in as much as I want to be. I I want <laughs> I want him to be the heir apparent to Duncan and Steph Curry, like I was saying on last week's episode. But unfortunately, I still think he's just Kyrie Irving. Yeah, well, and I don't want that for him because he's not that guy. I mean, he's being true to himself, and uh, I think he is kind of a, a wandering soul who changes his mind every month or so, and that's fine. Um, and he, he is probably just a little bit too honest at every turn, and, and that has been one of the recurring issues this season. It's like after every Celtics loss, Kyrie is ready to sort of spend 20 minutes talking about what went wrong and who needs to get better and how they all need to learn. And like, that's not the healthiest thing in the world to just sort of bear your soul like that after every game. Can I ask you then, did you believe he was genuine here or are you sort of drawing a distinction and saying like, look, he means it now, but that doesn't mean anything because a month from now he could just change his mind. Yeah. I think I would, I would go with the latter interpretation there. And, um, I don't know. I have a few things to say in general. All of this kind of threw me for a loop as much as it did you. First of all, though, we were kind of meandering on the last podcast that I didn't get to finish my thought at one point. But I do think we need to be clear that there is a huge distinction between Kyrie the leader and Kyrie the player. Because Kyrie as a player has never been better than he is this season. He's playing defense. He's scoring. He's basically carrying the Celtics in a lot of these games. And God, the Raptors game was just everything that makes him so valuable and so good. And, you know, I don't care. You can make the argument that he would miss the playoffs if he were on a team like Houston or Portland and he wouldn't be able to carry some of these other fake contenders. He doesn't create well for teammates, blah, blah, blah. All of that is fair and valid, but when it matters... Kyrie is better than basically any guard in the NBA except for James Harden or Steph Curry, point blank. Like, the dude is just incredible, and I loved watching him in the fourth quarter of that Raptors game. No, he hit a big shot, and I don't think the criticism about him has really ever been that much focused on his game. It's more of his overall kind of perspective on what he's trying to do on offense. And then, it's half and half, though. Like, I just think we do need to recognize that he is playing the best basketball of his career and it is still probably better than he gets credit for in a lot of corners, particularly among the like analytic-focused NBA intelligentsia. Like People are always kind of truthering his game and saying, you know, he's, he's not top 10, he's not top 5, he's more like 15 to 25, and I, I just think that all of that is kind of BS. So then why are they the biggest disappointment this season and so inconsistent if he's that good? Well, because he's not necessarily a guy who's going to go out and win 55 and 60 games, but I, I think that... <laughs> well, isn't that what we judge players on, Andrew? Come on. I, no. I think he's you know fun. What? I think you fall in love with his style of play. I think when he's on, he is as good as almost anybody with the ball in his hands, but he's right. not always on. And I don't think that his impact on you know games from start to finish every single night i just don't look at him as like a 365 day a year player i don't either but i do look at him and say if i'm in the middle of may trying to go win a title i would take him 10 times out of 10 over someone like kyle lowry someone like dame lillard like he just when it matters he's as good as anybody and i think that is part of what makes him uh so interesting because then there are nights 
in the middle of the season against Orlando where he's taking a pull-up three with three minutes left and shooting teams out of games. And so that's not great either. But yeah, And I think in his current role, every game matters. He is the leader of a really good team, a team that should have championship aspirations. And I think he told us after the game that he realized that and that he accepts that. Now yeah. let's see him prove it, right? Let's see it every single night, carry a team like LeBron did. You know, like yeah. James Harden is right now, like Steph Curry has for the last four years. We can go down the list of guys who have sort of carried teams to consistent success, play in, play out, quarter quarter in, quarter out. And I think my concern is just that, like, okay, you know, he, he did this once. This was definitely, you know, one of the most impressive performances he's put on. It's not just once, though. I mean, he did this to the Raptors two months ago also. I mean, it, here's the thing. His value is always going to be a complicated discussion, my point has always been that he he shows up when it matters, and I just want everyone to acknowledge that that is not just hype. Like he he's done it over and over and over again, and it's pretty impressive. I mean, Harden's got more forty point games in the playoffs, but you don't give him any credit. <laughs> okay, well, uh, moving on the side of it, the post game side of it. I don't know. You asked me last night. You said I need a ruling. You're the Kyrie whisperer. And I feel bad. I feel overly cynical, but my reaction was just to roll my eyes at some of the LeBron stuff. And, and I immediately wondered. Wait, whether wait, this wait, was... wait. Was that your immediate reaction or the second wave reaction? You didn't get suckered in at all. I mean, really? I didn't, man. I it really was, did it. It was so juicy. This image of Kyrie pulling out his cell phone. What do I do? I'm at a crossroads in my career. I've got to go kiss the ring of the guy who taught me how to be a champion. You didn't you didn't uh, get sucked in at all? Because it reminded me of the 2016 finals, or I guess 2017 finals right before he left. Remember he had that long soliloquy yes. about LeBron James? And Andrew, I got sucked into that one. Remember I was like quoting it like it was a Bible verse about everything he had learned from LeBron. And then like three weeks later, uh, of course, he's asking out of Cleveland and you know basically forcing his way to Boston. Um, yeah. I did have flashbacks to that. Yeah, see, I had forgotten about that. And if, if nothing else, that press conference in the middle of the finals where he talked, he did. He went uninterrupted for like two or three minutes talking about all the things he's learned from LeBron and how much he respects him and what a privilege it is to play next to that guy. And, and just apparently, from everything we've heard after the fact, he hated LeBron throughout that entire time. And so... I don't know. I, Kyrie tends to be a little bit of an unreliable narrator, and my take on him has always been that he's generally kind of full of nonsense. He's pretty interesting to, to listen to, but like nobody should take it that seriously. And um, I think that's what we got because <laughs> he's also incredible. And Wednesday night we got the full Kyrie experience. He was full on coffee shop in the post game, and he was unbelievable in the fourth quarter. I, yeah, I would say he was on LeBron-like level in terms of puppet mastering with that post-game performance. So I don't think we should undersell that in the slightest. I mean, we can see through a little bit, but I think for like the average masses, like maybe whether it's a casual fan, the person who's seen the ticker on SportsCenter, uh, who's reading the newspaper in the morning, whatever it might have been, don't you think he convinced everybody? Like this is the new, this is the dawn of a new day for Kyrie Irving? Um, maybe. I, I think that one of the things that's interesting is he's doing all of this in Boston, and um, you're a West Coast person. I don't know how much time you've really spent in New England, whereas I have a, a ton of family from up there, a bunch of friends from up there, and... Um, uh, we you know, know. You, you just always, every summer, Cape Codding it up. You know, <laughs> we know. Well, let me tell you, Ben, 
mass holes are a cynical people. And I think that everyone in Boston is beginning to get a little bit tired of this act with Kyrie. So I think maybe nationally it plays better than I'm giving him credit for. Uh, But I think locally in Boston, people are all kind of rolling their eyes and saying, all right, man, like let's just play basketball. The game was awesome last night. I wish that the story wasn't you and and LeBron and this staged uh, reunion or whatever. Um, And, you know, I think that is part of what was frustrating to me about the the way it all played out is in some ways what Kyrie was saying post-game was super impressive. Like he came out and said, point blank, I handled the Orlando loss poorly. Jalen Brown was right. And at one point, I have the tweet here. He says, I I don't think the message came out the way I wanted it to. And I've been on a team where things have been said publicly and it's not the best way to get the most out of the group. All of those were the right messages to send last night. And then I, I just wish he had kept the LeBron thing to himself because, you know, it's one thing to call him. That was cool. But by immediately telling the media about it, it sort of cheapens the whole post-game message from Kyrie, and then that became its own story. But didn't you like that he called himself a real man for calling LeBron? I mean, didn't that? (laughs) I don't know. I liked it. I liked it because it was perfectly on brand for everything Kyrie has been in the public eye for the last five or six years. Look, I think that you're onto something here. If we're judging him on sort of like the virtues of a real leader. That part doesn't need to be included. I guess at this point, I'm judging him as like a public icon, reality TV show star, you know, like try, <laughs> like going for the Golden Globe. And I, yeah. that's where I'm sort of just kind of like bowing down in awe. I mean, I just never saw this turn from him coming completely unpredictable. I'm sure LeBron was sitting there when he got that call, listening to Kyrie kind of probably mumble through his speech or whatever he was trying to get across. <laughs> I wish we had uninterrupted cameras to watch LeBron's reaction. What do you think LeBron was thinking when Kyrie calls? I have no idea. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think you hit a level of fame and you just, like, you don't really have genuine interactions anymore. And I, I'm sure that's how the call played out. Like, both LeBron— cause, LeBron also leaked this call within the first 72 hours. And so, okay, cause like we woke up uh, Thursday morning to a feature from Joe Varden at the athletic where we found out all about the LeBron side of this call. And he was at dinner with Kevin Love and like, they are both so good at manipulating the media that like God only knows what they said to each other. And God only knows what their motivations were. But like the whole thing is just so perfectly weird and like 21st century nba so what you're picturing is that they just basically had a very perfunctory like verbal dap on the phone yes (laughs) like like a little like okay cool yeah thanks for saying that all right man i'll I'll catch you when i see you at all-star all right uh, peace yeah and And maybe there was a baseline (laughs) understanding from both parties that this was going to be immediately leaked and spun for their own media purposes and that's just the way it goes i mean look from everything i've heard Kyrie really did not like LeBron, and um, and with good reason in some cases. And, well, and so, I, like, I, I don't, the don't relationship think, isn't suddenly fixed. Yeah, and don't you think LeBron should be just as mad at Kyrie as Blake Griffin was at the Clippers? I mean, like, yeah. sticking him with Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder for the last finals run, knowing he was going to get completely pulverized by Kevin Durant. Steph Out of Curry nowhere, after LeBron, LeBron, look, and you can make all kinds of valid criticisms about the way LeBron operates, and I'm sure 
he was even more exhausting to be around than Kyrie has been at, at various points this year in Boston. But uh, LeBron did go back to Cleveland and basically save Kyrie's career. And like, as as much as Kyrie probably resents that interpretation, like that's basically what happened. And if Kyrie if Kyrie had never played with LeBron, the Cavs probably never get past the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. And so expecting a little bit of gratitude from him probably isn't the craziest thing in the world if you're LeBron. Yeah, it's a great point. And then just spinning this forward, though, I wonder with Kyrie for the rest of the season, the only downside to this performance I could see is did he box himself into a corner? Like he can't really go back at any of the young guys at any point between now and the end of the season, can he? After doing this whole thing, trying to clear the air, taking the accountability, saying he's going to be the leader. Um, Because if he does, isn't it one of those things where it's like the boy who cried wolf? You know, it's like, wait a minute, you told us that you were not going to do this. And so I find like Jalen Brown, uh, you know, Tatum, I mean, any of these guys, aren't you like feeling really good right now, much better than you did two days ago? But then like looking forward on edge, like if, if something else pops up again, like what does that mean? I mean, is that sort of like the end of this group? Um, I think Kyrie, again, is a little bit of an unreliable narrator where like two months from now, he could pretend this never happened. And But you're right. He, he definitely has boxed himself in and and you know that's probably healthy like he should stop addressing his teammates through the media i think you can do that a couple times over the course of a season but like every other week it gets old and people are definitely going to start to resent him i did see people saying that he was throwing his teammates under the bus and if you isolate it just to the lebron quote it basically comes off as him saying yeah like I recognize that I was being an idiot, and now that I'm dealing with all these other idiots in Boston, that like I understand where LeBron was coming from, and and that's how it plays. But I think like, did you take it of, that way though? I didn't. Take no, it that way. I I didn't take it that way, and I think you have to also consider some of the other things he was saying Wednesday night, where he was sending the right message, and he said that I screwed up, and he said that Jalen was right, and I I think that his teammates are ultimately going to embrace everything he he did on Wednesday night including what he did during the game as a, yeah. as a reminder it, that he's incredible but he has to stick to the script that's my point <laughs> like you, you can't go back at them again you know what I mean so we'll yeah see. I, I think so the other thing I wanted to mention I, I just thought it was funny because I really had no idea how to process that moment last night you were texting me I was like like I have no idea what the motivations are here. And I saw one tweet uh, on Thursday from my old Grantland friend, Rafe Bartholomew. And he said, it does seem like one of the drawbacks of having so much sports news appear as planted news breaks or arranged PR profiles is that fans no longer have any reason to believe something like this wouldn't be staged. And um, I really identify with that sentiment because my first reaction was like, I don't know who this benefits or, or who planted this or whose idea this was. But like at no point on Wednesday night did I did I really believe it was like a genuine moment. And I think that might say more about me or more about where media is than Kyrie or LeBron. Uh, but it was yeah. just kind of a whole bizarre spectacle. I hear you, but I came around at the end to just being in awe of the plant. Like, sure, okay, <laughs> and it's how a well plant, but it like, <laughs> we've seen some bad plants, Andrew. I mean, how many times have I come on here and just been like, that Players Tribune essay was horrible. Why'd they even write it? You know, right. like, 
We've we've killed planted stories in the past. <laughs> this was an A plus plan. I'm giving Kyrie credit for it. Yeah, well, Kyrie and LeBron, they definitely have experience um, working the media. But um, I don't know. I part of me also would like to say. I hope their rivalry continues. I don't want to see them spend the next couple years pretending that everything's all good because I, I like it a lot more no. with them on opposite coasts Andrew, engaged in like a Cold War. This is Kobe Shaq part two where they smiled at the All-Star game with the co- in the co-MVPs and then they went straight back to making rap disses about each other. Yeah, like, don't, I don't worry. That's don't worry. It <laughs> it, it's not going to be real buddy-buddy anytime soon. All right. Well, moving back to the West Coast then, um, you were in the house for Jazz Clippers, and Adam has a question here. But first, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Could listening make you a better parent, a better leader, even a better person? Could listening to motivating fitness programs get you fit? Could it inspire you to start something new? There's never been a better time to start listening on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivational books, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. It's the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now, with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more customized with content made for members. Ben, do you have any thoughts on Audible here? Oh, yeah. I'm so proud to uh, be able to have them included on the Open Floor Globe because we've got readers left and right, and Audible serves readers who want to listen. It's a perfectly beautiful service. I can't tell you how much positive uh, word of mouth I've heard about Audible over the last, uh, you know, probably two years in terms of friends and family just saying how fantastic it is. Like you said, the selection is huge. And look, we've got an incredible opportunity uh for listeners go to audible.com slash floor or text floor to 500 500 and listen for a change andrew tell them what that will get them it will get them three titles every month one audiobook and two audible originals and that you can't hear anywhere else and um i will say that my wife, Alice, swears by Audible, and they wanted us to recommend a book. I recently read the Tiger Woods biography by Armin Katayan, and I read it in about two days on vacation uh, over the holidays. That's a great book. That's on Audible as well. Go to audible.com slash floor or text floor to 500-500 and listen for a change. Get into it. You think it's possible that Kyrie Irving was listening to books on leadership to become a better leader like Audible promises? It's it's very possible. I think Kyrie is just freestyling. He's going with how he feels, and it's working great so far. I hope he keeps it going. There's It's nonstop entertainment. Let's get back to it, Ben. Donovan Mitchell has scored 26 or more in the last few games. No, he's not shooting like Steph or Harden from the floor, but he's being a volume scorer for a fringe contender who desperately needs it. So who is the player that can fit next to Mitchell and Gobert to make them a true contender? What do you think, Ben? Well, first of all, the Jazz looked incredible in that game. I mean, they beat the brakes off the Clippers, both sides of the ball, just destroyed them. 
it is it's pretty impressive because utah you know about a month ago they were kind of treading water in 12th or 13th place you were getting in cheap digs oh what happened to your jazz Uh, well no and then you you saw jazz fans being like this is exactly where we were a year ago we're ready to turn it on and it's like i I don't know if you could just flip that switch and become amazing again because they went on that ridiculous tear through the second half last season. But that's kind of what's happened. I mean, they're really clicking on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I mean, to answer his question, I mean, there was Jazz fans, a lot of them, at the Staples Center, like screaming at Tobias Harris during his free throws, come to Utah, get yourself traded to Utah. And I know there's like just serious pining because that's that third option you know or I guess maybe number two option in Utah but not like you know your lead guy but somebody who's going to give you reliable scoring and spacing every single night I mean that's a pretty nice fit Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that the tricky part for them though is like if you're trading Tobias you have to get only expiring contracts and picks back because they don't want to screw up their uh, cap space situation uh, heading into the summer when they're going to be chasing uh, whoever else yeah Uh, and also I think it's a tough sell for the Clippers organization, because you have to be really, you know, cold blooded back to back years. If you are going to trade Tobias before the deadline, I don't think it's out of the question, but I do think that the circumstances have to be just right for him uh, to move because uh, you know, if you're trying to pitch yourself as a star friendly franchise takes care of everybody, come to LA and dominate, but you're just shipping guys out, even though they're in the middle (laughs) of career years, that's, that's a little hypocritical. You know what I mean? It is. It's a tough sell, particularly on the heels of Blake. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I Tobias Harris is not the answer in L.A. I think we can agree on that. He could be the answer as the third guy who's not asked to do too much. Um, and, you know, f- he does fit in well. It was like For years, Jazz fans and, and other NBA people would kind of try to pencil in Jabari Parker onto that Jazz team and say, this is... And I think half of it was probably because Jabari's Mormon. 90%. But, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But continue. No, but like Tobias Harris is a version of Jabari who's actually good and uh, and actually can score and, and can stretch the floor a little bit. And so I think that makes sense. It's a little sad to me that Tobias Harris is kind of like the, the pipe dream for jazz fans. Um, but Well, they're, they're realistic, though. I don't think it's sad. I mean, look, if we're trying to say, oh, yeah, you need KD or AD, it's like, yeah. Can you picture Anthony Davis in Salt Lake City? I mean, come on. No, I can't. I, I think the, the most encouraging development, though, for Utah people is Donovan Mitchell over the past few weeks has sort of come back to life and looks like the guy people expected him to be this year. And um, that's a big win. He, I mean, I think he's probably going to be streaky all year long, but uh, at least they know he still has this in him and could potentially be the number one guy. And um, if, if he turns into that, they're going to be in the middle of the West regardless. Yeah, I mean, I, to me, this is a team that still has a chance to make it to the second round of the West playoffs. They're playing really good. The schedule is going to get better for them. And the schedule is about to get a lot worse for both the Clippers and the Lakers, and I believe the Thunder, too. Mm-hmm. So those you're going to see a lot of movement in these West standings, even in the top eight here over the next month, just as the schedule stuff works itself out. So um, I'm not convinced that they need to make a move this season, but I'm also not of the mindset of this emailer who's like, how do we become a contender? Because I'm still not sure that I see that. I, I don't know if I'm a little bit lower on Mitchell or, or maybe a little bit more hesitant about how good can go bear be, uh, yeah. you know, 
night to night in the postseason. Um, but I think you've got a really nice team there. You should be happy with it. It's not as ugly and choppy as it was early in the season. They're very fun to root for. They were really fun to watch last night. I mean, uh, I heard the the Jazz radio guys were saying it might have been their best game of the year. So that's tough because you don't want to judge everything based off that. But um, It's tricky because a, a good Jazz game, they like smother teams and make other offenses miserable and then everybody starts hitting shots and they beat teams by 25 or 30 and you're like wow this team is incredible and then catch the jazz on the wrong night and they're like struggling to break 70 points donovan mitchell is like eight for 27 and it's like oh i don't know i don't know about the next four or five years in utah and so it is they kind of bounce around. I Half the reason I included this email is because you've been taking little cheap shots at Donovan Mitchell for the last three months as a way to dig at me, and I just want some recognition that no, Donovan no, no, Mitchell no. is beginning to look okay. Well, let me be clear, Andrew. I was making cheap shots at your expense, not Donovan's expense. There's no <laughs> doubt he's kind of like, you know, come back into the fold. He looked very confident. He looked exactly like you would expect a player who's going to be sort of the face of that franchise and the leading scorer for Utah here over the next 10 years. Yeah. Uh, what we expected sort of at the beginning of the season. And uh, I think not only should we give him credit for his recent resurgence, but also Rudy Gobert in the middle. Uh, you look at their defensive rating, they're practically back back to number one. I think Gobert in terms of the defensive real plus minus, he's right there near the top with everybody. When I'm looking at that defensive player of the year field, you know, Paul George is definitely a strong candidate. You know, if I'm looking around for other candidates, I mean, I think Gobert is going to be right there by the end of the season as well. And I'm not even sure who else should be in that conversation. So if we're playing a little catch up here, you know, on this national level of like, okay, who, who should we be giving credit to after maybe uh bumpy starts? I think both those guys, Mitchell and Gobert deserve it. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Um, Mitchell, it's been, it's been cool to watch him kind of stabilize here. A couple of the sophomore slumpers are beginning to come out of it. And uh, you know, Ben Simmons has had some nice games. Uh, Jason Tatum still looks pretty good in Boston, despite some of the, the, hype that expected him to be like a full-blown all-star this year so that's true and then and then the Gobert thing I mean you go back two months I think I called him like an overwhelmed stick figure and he he, like the first couple weeks of jazz games Gobert was not adjusting well to what the NBA had become and uh it's cool to see him kind of get his sea legs too the it it's weird though like the defensive player of the year conversation defenses are just so screwed that like Gobert could win it by default because there just aren't that many guys around the league who are actually like doing a great job and who who become the story because of their defense because everybody's scoring 120 130 points a game yeah for sure I mean when you were a kid you used to be annoyed if you get the most improved player because that means you sucked the previous year and you're like oh cool (laughs) yeah thanks for this award but now like you're the defensive player of the year during an insane shootout season where teams are just regularly putting up 140 plus points it's like okay cool ribbon you know (laughs) (laughs) you don't you don't have to make room for that on your mantle just find a little you know closet a shelf in the back of your closet somewhere and and throw it back in there let it collect dust it's tricky but it is fun to have the jazz kicking ass again um but moving on and speaking of kicking ass uh sean says did Golden State's drubbing of the Nuggets just turn the rest of the NBA into a quote-unquote cute story? What do you think, Ben? 
I'm not ready to go that far simply because this Cousins uh, return is right on the horizon, and we're going to need to sift through that probably for the next three to four weeks at least. Uh-huh. Um, but it did put a lot of pressure on Cousins, didn't it? I mean, could they be looking any better here over the last week? I mean, putting up 140-plus <laughs> in back-to-back games, just killing uh, the Pelicans, killing the Nuggets. Uh, to me, that game said more about Denver and sort of the state of things and the caution that we were projecting on them. Remember a week or two ago, we were saying, look, like they've not won a playoff game. We don't need to try to elevate them to this, you know, true contender status. Yeah. Uh, they're playing amazing. They're having basically the best version of their season, but like we don't need to get carried away. And I think that that game against Golden State was the the bucket of cold water getting dumped on their head, right? It was just like, okay, yeah, we, uh, we're really good, but we're not that good. And I think they've got some fundamental matchup issues with Golden State. They're just not going to be able to solve. I, right. And I look at that. I mean, I think I was texting you this after this game. I mean, who are the teams right now that you think can push Golden State past four or five games in the NBA? Um, I can make a list of teams that could push it to six, but it's mm-hmm. a very short list. And if they're clicking like they were clicking, uh, you know, against that Denver team, 16 and 0, 16 and 1, 16 and 2 going through the playoffs is absolutely possible. Not only is it a short list, but I think that all of the teams that actually have a shot at pushing them are in the East and uh, the West. Oh, no, no, no. no <laughs> the gap is only no getting way. wider. Yeah. And I mean, what? Are, are you going to say Paul George? Look, Paul George has had a great year. I still don't totally buy him averaging 30 or 35 a game in a playoff series and, and being able to really push the Warriors. like, And then beyond the Thunder, I don't know. Everybody else looks weaker than they did a year ago. But still better than the Eastern Conference teams. I think you could make an Eastern Conference dream team, put take anybody from the Eastern Conference, and they'd probably still lose in six to Golden State. An Eastern Conference dream team? What do you mean? You take Kawhi, yeah, you Kyrie. Have, I'll, I'll give you Kyrie, <laughs> Kawhi, Giannis, uh, Embiid, and they're still going down in six. That is just a reckless claim. I've resolved to not curse on this podcast anymore, but boy, oh boy, I do not buy that. Um, Ch- chemistry and role definitions matter, Andrew. And look, I, I mean, no, I agree the with best that. team in I the East right that. now An East is dream team could easily push the Warriors to seven. The Warriors may still win because they're just that ridiculous. But yeah, I think I think you have not given Milwaukee quite enough credit, and Giannis okay. has always given them problems. Okay, so I, slow down, slow down. Okay, Milwaukee's the best team in the East right now. Playoff uh-huh. Brooke Lopez against Golden State. How's that going to go for them? Not well. But they've okay. got DJ Wilson. Talk to Bucks fans. The first guy they <laughs> want to talk about is DJ Wilson. Yeah, well, they could talk about him after they lose in five in the finals. <laughs> All right. Well, here's the deal. Uh, to answer Sean's question, I think the real reminder is that when Steph Curry is healthy, everything works in Golden State, and they're completely untouchable because that's that's what's changed. If we, if we want to compare where the Warriors are now to where they were a month ago, Steph is healthy, and everything is running through him again, and they are the best team in the league. And honestly, like you could make a good argument for him as MVP if this continues for the rest of the season because you're going to be able to look back at Golden State and say, all right, they were incredible for the first month, and then they were incredible for the final four or five months. And the month that they fell off and, and everybody wondered what was wrong with the Warriors was the month where Steph was out and then kind of struggling to, to work his way back in. But like when Steph is healthy, 
there's just nothing you can do. And that's that's the real kind of takeaway from the last 10 days of Warrior blowouts. Uh, I agree. And if Steph's healthy, I mean, he's knocking the East out in six, but sure. <laughs> sure. All right. That's fair. I'm just saying like it is kind oh, of a cute now it's story. Fair. You said, so it was a reckless take, but now you're telling me it's fair. <sighs> well, he's knocking an Eastern Conference team out in six. No, I mean, dream, a, a dream team. Dream the dream team. team. Come on, if, man. <laughs> if Steph is healthy and Katie's playing like finals MVP healthy, Draymond's going to crank it up in the playoffs. So he's going to be the de- best defensive player on the court. Um, you know, they've got Iguodala knows his role playoff savvy Iguodala knows his role you've got you got clay (laughs) as a threat to score 40 50 60 you never know on any given night I mean come on I appreciate you going out on a limb so I'm not going to crush you for this take I I appreciate the uh the the audacity but um moving forward hey in unrelated news I don't know if you saw this today Wizards owner Ted Leonsis basically came out in London and said, we are not going to tank, period. We have to make the playoffs essentially by any means necessary. I don't think he directly quoted Malcolm X, but that was <laughs> that was the vibe. Uh-huh. How would that make you feel? I'm just curious. When I read that, I just slapped my head. But how would that make you feel? Oh, man. I am so dead inside when it comes to the <laughs> Wizards that I just don't really have energy left to care about a quote like that. I did see it, and I did see a number of Wizards writers and Wizards fans I've come to know and love over the years. They all started to sort of, like, wring their hands over it. But, like, I just... I, who cares, you know? Until they can trade John Wall, nothing matters. And so Ted can say whatever he wants to say. It does sort of reflect a fundamental misunderstanding of how the business of basketball works. But um, it's not terribly surprising. And, you know, if they could trade Wall and just build around Beal and Otto and Sadoransky and just have, like, a fun middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference playoff team, I would be into that. I don't really care. I think the silver lining for the Ted Leonsis quote, though, is that didn't he give it at the, the same press conference as Adam Silver was there? So, like, what's he supposed to say, right? Like, hey, welcome to London, everyone. We're tanking. Hey, <laughs> hey Adam, can you find me before the flight home? Yeah, well, you know what's really disappointing is um, for a while, the Wizards were down 20 in the first half against the Knicks in London, and nothing in the world would have been more perfect than Ted Leonsis coming out and saying, we will never, ever tank, and then the Wizards losing by double digits to the Knicks (laughs) in front of an international audience. (laughs) Unfortunately... Beal and the Wiz came back to win. I just checked the score. 101 to 100. Uh, classic for, for the Brits. Um, and the Knicks scored 11 points in the fourth quarter. Don't know how that's even possible. but Yeah, and we wonder why the sport hasn't caught on over there. Yeah, I guess hopefully Britain is into Luke Cornett and um, Alonzo Trier. Uh, anyways, let's move on, Ben. To Jerry, who says, Sharp, how do you not put the Nets in the top five happiest fan bases? We were in the depths of the darkest timeline, and now we're one of the more entertaining watches in the league. Uh, Yeah, the Nets, I can't imagine how much fun it would be to be a Nets fan and to watch this team night after night, because every game they play is, like, more competitive than it probably should be, and they just play... Go 10 deep. Everybody plays hard. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You used to be the guy who said no lip service, 
No generic praise. I was going to. It was you're, trending toward generic praise. You're, you're <laughs> dangerously stepping into generic praise territory. How do you feel, Andrew? Are you sure you want to do that? Oh, uh, I don't really care about the Nets. I have not mentioned D'Angelo Russell, and a couple people have written in to wonder why. It's because I don't want to jinx what he's doing this year. I've, I'm waiting until the summer to tell you I told you so. But he has been pretty great, and Dinwiddie has been good. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy for Nets fans. The The real team that I feel bad about forgetting in terms of happiest fan bases would be the Atlanta Hawks because I think, like, they are truly playing with house money and what John Collins has turned into, what Kevin Herter has turned into. Trey Young is starting to look much better over the past month or six weeks or so, like, that team, I would be very pumped because they also have two lottery picks this spring and like things are looking up. Uh, I think you're getting ahead of it slightly. Um, I also look, the Hawks may not have more than like 75 fans in total. So who knows? Yeah, you're also a little biased here because you really need Trey Young to be good based on your Luka Doncic <laughs> opinions. <laughs> look, I think that there is a good case for Trey and the Hawks going further in the playoffs over the next four or five years than Luka ever does in Dallas. And the, it, the Dallas situation is kind of interesting. Like Dallas fans, take notes. Write that down. Put that one in. I want to get an email I, on that prediction in two years. I feel good about it. It may it may be three or four years before uh, Trey and Atlanta really take maybe, off. <laughs> maybe 30, 40 years, but well, it's going like, to come. What are the Mavs going to do? What are they going to build around Luka? Even if you say that he's good, which he is, I, there's no question about it, but like Maxi Kleber, I, I just don't see where they go from here, particularly now that the Dennis Smith Jr. thing has sort of blown up in their face. I mean, they're going to have a pretty good draft pick as long as they manage this tank right. I mean, that would be the first step to me is that... Well, no, but the, the Hawks get their pick. I thought it was top five protected. Well, it is. You, you, so you're saying they should tank for top yeah. five? A hundred percent, absolutely. Because I mean, give them Zion. Now they're the best team, the That's best show, in, the best show in basketball. I mean, Luca and Zion. It would be like baby LeBron and Manu Ginobili or something. You know? <laughs> like, no, I hear that completely. If they can land another top five pick, they will be in really good shape. But I have started to look at their team, and I've wondered, like, what's the plan if you don't have that lottery pick? Because I, I just, you know, I don't think free agents are going to be dying to go to Dallas over the next couple of years. No, we know what their strategy is though. Overpay for mediocre guys and hope that Luca will be able to carry sort of like a, a ragtag crew to, you know, 47 wins, 48 wins and, and make a little noise and then build from there. I mean, I think it's going to be a, a gradual step-by-step thing. If you throw Dallas into the Eastern conference, they could win it this year. You know, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We're, we're judging Trey and, and Luca by different standards here. Yes, it is unquestionably a different standard that's part of why i feel so good about my take um the but speaking of the eastern conference and actually just everybody the one thing i wanted to ask what about if we instead of happiest fan bases who would be your top 10 most miserable fan bases who should be considered for that um well i would say oh boy this is tough i would say orlando's got to be in there um you know, just anybody sort of... who's left, it's just the years and years of aimlessness and changing everything. GMs, <laughs> yeah. coaches, never having a point guard at any point. You know, it's like it's been so obvious you need to have a point guard here for the last six or seven years. 
and they just haven't had one. I think they've got and haven't even really made an attempt, really beyond the like Alfred Payton exper- uh, experiment, which was aborted two or three years in. They haven't like sought out any real replacement. Suns fans uh, absolutely are way up there. I mean, obviously, I hear from a lot of angry Suns fans because I have some, you know, fairly heater takes about the Suns. But those people mm-hmm. just sound miserable. Period. Like I don't know. I don't know if they're uh, they've just lost all hope uh, and they have real no no real reason for it going forward. I think they've got to be in this conversation. I think Pelicans fans um, are maybe fringe on this list just because you kind of know what your fate is, but you have to be in denial about it. But it's not really going anywhere. And it's like, hey, we made all this great momentum, but we're still under 500, not going to make the playoffs. I think that would be a pretty miserable existence. Yep. Um, But, I mean, Bulls fans probably should lead this list. I don't know if there's any of those left. By the way, I saw the Boylan experience firsthand. Um, Must-see TV. I mean, I would definitely recommend going to watch a Bulls game in person, Andrew, because the tickets are going to be very cheap, uh, number one. But he puts in an honest night's work i mean he's telling (laughs) he's telling the referees what to do he is over coaching like few coaches in the league i mean he's really aggressive and i don't know if you saw their game against the lakers but uh chicago was stuck on 98 points with like i don't know a minute left and they needed to score two more points to deny the lakers fans free tacos because if the lakers hold their opponent under 100 uh, all the fans get tacos. So without LeBron to cheer for, the Lakers fans have become obsessed with this chase for the tacos. <laughs> it's all about tacos. So sure. They were going crazy. So Boylan was taking multiple timeouts to draw up plays. Oh, my to, God. To try to, like, very clearly just to screw with the fans so that they couldn't have the tacos. And they just barely did it by getting 100 points. So as the Staples Center dropped the confetti on the Lakers win, there was just boos ringing out from all corners. <laughs> <laughs> because even though the Lakers had won, they they hadn't gotten the tacos, and you know Boylan kind of you know walks off after another loss. But I think deep down there was a level level of satisfaction there that he had ruined so many people's night, you know their their chance for free food. Because we're yeah. talking about j- Jack in the Box tacos here, you know you probably you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't even eat Jack in the Box tacos. I wouldn't. I, I and it's funny because people on the West Coast swear by Jack in the Box, and my only experiences there were always pretty underwhelming. Um, I'm a Taco Bell guy, so. Um, the, the very cool, very the, cool. <laughs> yeah, here we are, just living the dream, podcasting twice a week for an hour and twenty minutes. Um, but before we move on, though, what I would say about the miserable fan bases and the reason I brought this up is because I started thinking about it after we finished our last podcast, and it's funny when we talk about like the happy fan bases, everybody is sort of just like moderately happy like not on top of the world but like feeling good things are moving in the right direction and then you look at like the bottom of the nba and the the truly miserable teams like it's a level of existential despair where if i were a suns fan or a magic fan i like i would understand if somebody was like yeah i gave this team the last 10 years and now i'm just done with the nba forever (laughs) it's just it's kind of incredible like the pistons are another one who are, have to be in the conversation for most miserable fans in the NBA. Oh, and, great um, one. Should we <laughs> offer fan amnesty? Like, should we take proposal from people at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com? If you're a fan, a long-suffering fan of a franchise, and you've hit your limit like Andrew is describing, yeah. email, us, email us your application, 
and we will grant you fan amnesty if you qualify. <laughs> we will allow you to go be a fan of a better team or maybe a specific player who you want to latch onto, and we will wipe the slate clean. You will never have to hear uh, you know it's any hard, accusations it's of bandwagoning. It's not easy to do it because, and that's the thing is, I've considered giving myself fan amnesty oh. um, and and trying to become a Bucks fan, but like <laughs> it just feels so wrong, and I think. If you're once you hit a certain level of investment in one team, you can't suddenly turn around and pretend to be that invested in another team. I think no, the I play is you. to become just full blown agnostic. I, I feel you, but I also think we should try to recruit you to the Bucks. I think we should take you <laughs> out to Wisconsin. Let's just load you up with cheese, like whatever else we could do to like try to you know shift your. Uh, your worldview and get you bought in because well, let me tell you, you, you you deserve it i mean what's the point you've got your <laughs> owner out here saying we're not going to tank you're not that means aka you're not getting zion you may make the playoffs if so it will just be so sad if i'm you ready man look it'll our, still be sad our podcast producer lou uh lou pellegrino the master of open floor was texting me during Nick's Wizards giving me shit like can can the Wizards ever make a shot and then I looked up at the score and it was the Wizards were down 20 I I wasn't even aware that the game had started yet but like that's the level we're at I've got people from all corners of my life texting me concerned and or talking trash about how depressing my basketball team is so I feel like maybe you should hop on the Hawks now I mean, ooh, maybe I you know, should. Like, just <laughs> maybe do it. Why not? I should. It's not that far away. It's an easy flight. Atlanta's, I'm sure, a lot of fun. You go down there, you probably hit all the clubs. You're a big club guy. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <That's laughs> first thing everybody says about me, a big club guy. No, look, Kevin Herter has been really good too lately. I don't know if I mentioned him earlier. The, the oh, Hawks, yeah, you've mentioned him at happening. least 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> something is happening in Atlanta. Get excited, 75 Hawks fans of the world. Um, all right, what do you think? Should we move on? Do you want to talk about conference imbalance quickly, or do you want to just skip straight ahead to the Lantern segment? I mean, I think we should get to the Lantern because we got some phenomenal entries this week. Okay. Uh, real quickly on conference uh, imbalance, what do you think about my idea that I floated in the text message today that the Western Conference should just secede from the Union? <laughs> I think it's perfectly on brand with everything you're about. I Here's the thing. I think we, we run the risk sometimes of overstating that point. And I guess all I ask here is that we be honest and admit that all the quote-unquote good West teams are also kind of mediocre and underwhelming and a little bit depressing whether whether we're talking about the clippers the pelicans the spurs the the luka Doncic Mavs team that you've been shedding tears for over the past two weeks while you watch the pistons and the hornets make a playoff push like none of these teams are actually that good and uh, you know but you can agree that they're better than the their eastern conference counterparts they are they are okay so that's all that matters i mean Okay. I hear your point. Everybody sucks besides Golden State, but like the Western teams suck less. I guess that's my point. <laughs> they do suck less, but also I think you know, at least that there there's some intrigue in terms of the Western Conference playoff race. I think if you remove that and we're just talking about the top 16 teams, like I, I, it's the the benefit is really not that um meaningful, I would say. I guess I would let's just prove it. I mean, this is what I say. Like, I I love the contrarian takes from any Eastern Conference supporter. But the bottom line is until you agree to make a one to 16 playoff format and a balanced schedule 
and we really see who is better uh, over that the course of that uh, slate, uh, it's all just empty talk. And so I think as a leader of the East, Andrew, I think you should be one of the loudest voices here, and you should be challenging your owner, Ted Leonsis, and the other Eastern Conference owners. <laughs> I know you're, you're real thick as thieves with those Celtics owners. Um, you know, let those guys know you want them to prove it. Yeah, me and Wick Grossback, uh, golfing every weekend. <laughs> All no. right, in more entertaining news, we got the lantern, <laughs> Andrew. I got, you know, I'll be honest, the last couple lanterns, I might have exaggerated how many uh, responses I got just to sort of build some buzz for the lantern. Okay. I, I got probably 50 responses to this week's lantern question. Open for Globe is coming through huge. And here is the three if by Graham prompt of the week, Andrew. I asked... What is the craziest reason or comparison that you can think of to explain why DeMarcus Cousins in Golden State will work or won't work? And I said, it doesn't have to be sports related. Now, I got some incredible submissions. Your job this week, Andrew, is to you're going to grade them to assess the craziness of the comparison, but also the validity of the idea. Does that yeah. make sense? Well, okay. and, and off the top here, let me say that the, the prompt itself struck me as kind of vague and I wasn't sure what exactly you were looking for and I was a little nervous about what kind of responses we were going to be getting um but well, let me let me just say we we are dumber than our listeners I know I you com- reached out you said we have really smart listeners which is like got a nice little surprise we got a great comparison from Austin Bailey to Alexander the Great, but he included all these like famous historical figures whose names I can't pronounce, so we're just going to not be able to include that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we, we got another guy who pointed out, if you look at the letters uh, of the players uh, in Golden State and the key figures, if they have a C or a K in their name, they're successful. Kevin, uh-huh. Clay, curry Kerr, so therefore cousins with the c will will be a success and it's going to work for that reason i thought that was pretty interesting but i did narrow it down to the top three the three if by Graham, and we've got a nice balance here so here they come and tell me what you think i hope Good that comparison. they're better than the c or k uh theory <laughs> that well, doesn't strike me as particularly groundbreaking well andrew as you know that was an honorable mention so <laughs> these are better okay, okay. this is from <laughs> Stranded on stage, he writes, As all great TV shows head towards their later seasons, writers' rooms get tired, the characters have all slept with each other, the formula gets old, and shows get weird. Some TV shows have used a theoretically fail-safe method to combat the monotony by bringing in a celebrity ringer to drive up the drama. The Office with Kathy Bates or Two and a Half Men with Ashton Kutcher are some recent examples. I mean, what could go wrong? More talent begets better results, right? Yep. Wrong. The celebrity outsider always is awkward, out of place, and alienates the true hardcore fans. They mess up the flow, disrupt the rhythm, and the result is always the most forgettable season of what otherwise had been a great television program. Sadly, Boogie Cousins is a celebrity ringer being forced into an established hit. I rest my case. This will not work. What do you think, Andrew? Wow. It's a good argument. Here, here's my first reaction is that the Kathy Bates office arc did work pretty well. I didn't watch it in real time. Have you seen that? Possibly, but look, it all goes in one year out the other. <laughs> all right. Well, I've watched on Netflix, and I like Kathy Bates' cameos on The Office. So 
I think the the comparison is flawed in that respect. Um, uh, can I just be honest? I don't even know who Kathy Bates is, so like the idea of, <laughs> of her being a celebrity to me means nothing. Well, look, she's pretty solid. I think Boogie is going to be pretty solid. So I I am biased on all of these theories. So I'm going to be preferring the ones that see this working out. But look, if you're arguing for why this is going to fail, that's a pretty good analogy. Okay, bad news, because the top three are all arguing that it's going to fail. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> oh, here comes number two from Ben Morewood. He writes, uh, back in school, we had this big guy named Kev on our team. He was big and dominant, but he had a temper. He came to our team and had some injuries, but once he came back, he still thought he was that dude, but he just wasn't. He would constantly get into fights with teammates, and he almost got into a fist fight with our club legend at training camp. Anyway... We suspended him for a game because of all of this, and he called it BS, and my coach said, well, if you think that, there's the door, as a big bluff to kind of challenge him. Unfortunately, Big Kev got up in the middle of the team <laughs> meeting, walked out the door, and we all sat there speechless. The next day, Kev tried recruiting guys on the team to have his back so that he could build a coalition to try to get him back on the team because he had regretted what he had done. He wanted us to publicly support him in the group chat, and uh, ultimately, it resulted in chaos. Essentially, he divided our entire team group into Big Kev supporters and haters, and we had a terrible year, and we just barely avoided relegation. My prediction is, basically, Big Kev is DeMarcus Cousins in every way, and the same thing will happen to the Warriors, obviously minus the relegation part. What do you think? Is Big Kev the explanation for the DeMarcus Cousins experience that we're about to witness. So it sounds like Big Kev was trying to reenact like a much sadder version of Rudy where he had teammates <laughs> go into the coach's office and lay their jersey down. Um, and I, by the way, if Boogie did that, I don't even know who he would go to to try and build the coalition. Would it be like Jonas Jerebko and I don't Quinn like, Cook's like I'm available. <laughs> yeah, like I, I got your back, Boogie. Don't you worry. Um, I, I it's a good theory. It was wasn't this a high school team? Who? What high school sports team gets relegated? I'm not sure exactly. Look, it could have been an, uh, a pro team overseas or That's something. That's what I'm I didn't wondering. Do a, <laughs> like this a professional <laughs> soccer player or something. Well, come to find out, Big Kev is uh, Big Kev is some legend in like Romania that we don't know about. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't see that. I, I that's not a plausible scenario here. And let me tell you, on a serious note, I know this is our your your lantern segment. I do think that this is going to work because whenever Boogie has been surrounded by a lot of other talented guys, he tends to be on his best behavior. And so I don't think that he's going to be trying to lead like a mutiny in the middle of March. I feel you. We'll come back to that uh, that idea here after the last example, okay? This was my favorite, and I think you're going to understand why. Okay. This is this is from Tom378. Uh, keep in mind, it's from Tom378. Okay. He writes, DeMarcus is like a push-up bra. It looks great, makes everyone around you jealous, and it might even make you feel more confident. But when Golden State wants to get comfortable in the playoffs... <laughs> The first thing they're doing is rated here. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing they're doing is whipping off that push-up bra and putting on that old, worn, reliable hoodie, aka Draymond Green at oh, center. Oh, I thought he was gonna say Iguodala. Iguodala is that old sweatshirt from college that you should probably throw away, but it's just too comfortable and it's it's the old standby. So, what do you think? 
DeMarcus fails because he's a push-up bra. How do you grade that one? Um, I F. F for all of these. DeMarcus <laughs> is going to work at Golden State, goddammit. <laughs> and look, okay. let me tell you something. When they get to the playoffs, I think Boogie is going to be really valuable against most of the teams they play. I, the one team where I'm... I wonder about his fit is if they end up uh, playing Boston in the finals because then, you know, Boston could go five out and get Boogie out in space. But, like, a lot of these teams, I don't know what the hell the Rockets would do with Boogie if they if that's a seven-game series. He's going to be good in the playoffs. He's not the old sweatshirt. Okay. Or the push-up uh, bra, excuse me. Draymond's the old sweatshirt, I guess, in Tom's yeah, analogy. No. <laughs> Thank you very much for clarifying. That was You almost had that backwards. That would have been rough. Um so I spent the last couple of days up with the Santa Cruz Warriors, uh, the G League affiliate for Golden State, uh-huh. kind of exploring how that organization treated Boogie during his uh, his re- uh, rehab stints down there. You know, he went through a bunch of practices. His brothers on that team, uh, Jaleel, and I talked to their coaching staff, some of their players. I mean, first of all, it was fascinating. I wrote the whole thing up. Uh, it's a you know, Washington Post story, so go ahead, shameless plug alert. Go find that um, on the internet. But what their coach down there, Aaron Miles, who's actually a Portland uh, high school basketball legend, his team went undefeated at Jefferson uh, in 2000, one of the greatest teams in Oregon high school basketball history. Awesome. What Aaron, My- what Aaron Miles was saying, the passing ability just popped in all of the scrimmages. And he, he was putting himself in Steve Kerr's shoes and thinking like, not only we're all going to focus on what Boogie can do on the block, you know, and get certain guys into tough situations. Cause he's going to be going one-on-one yeah. uh, all the time because of their shooters. But he's saying, look, if you just put him at the elbow and you do all those crazy cuts that they run clay off of, that they can run Steph off of and everybody else, Boogie's the best passer that they've ever had in that role by a lot. Yeah. And they, th- they also think that you were mentioning how he plays with talent around him and Cousins has long had trouble with turnovers, right? I mean, he, mm-hmm. sometimes he tries to do too much. Uh, but that can also be a function of you're playing on one level and your teammates aren't on that same level, and they're just not really understanding the game as well as you do. And I think if you have Cousins in a more controlled role offensively and you're able to make use of his passing ability, uh, he should be in a situation where like his assisted turnover ratio looks a lot different uh, in this environment. He winds up being a more efficient player. I don't think he's going to be a big-time scorer for them, but I am really excited, especially after hearing that vision for him, uh, how it could look on offense. Um, I worry a little bit about the weight. I worry about the mobility, uh, of course, because those are obvious issues for somebody in his situation. And I think that, you know, to push back on what you were saying about the playoff matchup, I do worry about him a little bit on defense because Golden State here over the last few years their playoff strategy has been like, let's go out here and just pick on the other team's center as much as we possibly can, right? Right. And I think they could get a little taste of their own medicine, don't you think? Whether it's Houston or some of these other teams, you know, Denver, if you got Jamal Murray doing pick and rolls, aren't you just going to try to get uh, DeMarcus Cousins into as many pick and rolls as possible? And I wonder if in the playoffs his role is not as big as we might expect just because of the defensive responsibilities and their identity, which has always been flying around, lots of athletes, interchangeability, and all that stuff, is yeah. just too difficult to keep up with DeMarcus on the court. I think that's definitely the argument for him not making as much of an impact as people expect. And it's a good point. Um, what I think that he'll be able to do, though, is to punish any team who's trying to switch the Warriors, and um, and particularly in the low post, like... Who knows how much of that offense will be there, but like, if he's close to who he was over the past few years, he's as 
efficient down low as just about anybody in the league. And um, it's funny you mentioned the passing because that's when I've tried to visualize this. And one of the craziest parts about Boogie and Golden State is like it's hard to just even imagine him out there. And I have kind of imagined him at the free throw line, basically doing sort of dribble handoff stuff and finding cutters. And then the other thing is, like, he can knock down that shot pretty easily. And and he'll be able to be a threat offensively from there to where even if he's not moving as well as he had been, he's still going to be able to kind of be more skilled than anyone they've had in that spot since Bogut, who is also a great passer at that spot in the offense. So I think that there are more positives than negatives. I mean, the defensive concerns are definitely real, and, and that's what I would worry about in a Boston series. But um, it's going to be he, – he's let me ask good. You this, he's really good. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask you that because you're clearly in on the concept, right? Yeah. Is there a value here, like, just shattering other teams' confidence, right? Like, you're realizing you're going up against a lineup that has five all-stars. Like, whether or not it works seamlessly – is there the, the opportunity that they just beat teams before the games even start in the playoffs because they're just overwhelmed by the collection of talent? It's certainly possible. And particularly, like, I don't know what you do if you if Golden State takes Steph and and KD off the court and you still have to deal with, like, Clay Thompson running around screens and and DeMarcus Cousins finding him and then you know you get boogie down low like and those are your easy minutes against the Warriors like that would break my brain if I were a, a guy on another NBA team trying to like hang with this team and so I think that's definitely part of it um and you know the other element of this which actually cuts against the like season 7 celebrity guest star theory of this not working I do think that there's some value in mixing up the characters out there and kind of keeping everyone invested and giving them a new challenge and it, and sort of just something new to rally around. And I I think that that's the way that, th- that this is going to go, where like Steph and KD and Draymond, everybody's going to want to get Boogie going and it'll give them a reason to stay invested in the final three months of this season. I think um, if I was Steve Kerr, and here's some free advice for him. I'm sure he's listening. Um, <laughs> I would call a team meeting with everybody but Boogie and say, look, what I say in this meeting stays in this meeting. We are now in the the bunker together defending Boogie at all costs yeah. for at least the next month. Because the way that this goes sideways is that Boogie is still not 100% mobile, which is completely to be expected. Golden State's on this amazing rhythm, like we mentioned earlier. And just as they're trying to work through that type of an adjustment and and having this type of player that they've never really had before, um, like, sure, he passes like Bogut. But Bogut, (laughs) he wasn't doing – you didn't have to even really guard Bogut. You know what I mean? And and so that's going to be a big adjustment for everybody. And it's going to probably look choppy at times. And it's probably going to require modulating Cousins' role at times and trying to find the right lineup combinations of, like, when can you get guys like Steph maximum touches when Cousins isn't on the court and vice versa, right? Like, you're going to have to work through those issues. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be people sniping and blaming Boogie from the outside. That's my take over the next month. Like, I think he is really set up because he always gets a lot of criticism. And I think it's going to be ramped up more than ever. I think he told Rachel Nichols this week that – Golden State's the most hated team in sports. He's going to be the most hated player on the most hated team in sports. Can we talk I, about that, actually, just before we close out here? 
Well, let Golden... me guess. You want to nominate uh, the the Patriots? No, look, the Warriors are nowhere near the most hated team in sports. Okay, like at any point, and and by the way, considering how corny they've been at various points over the past few years, they've caught like. 30% of the criticism that other dynasties have, have caught over the last 20 years. I mean, literally, like, the Heat were were hated. People absolutely despise those guys. Uh, okay, well, are they the most hated team in the NBA right now, though? I mean, yeah, I guess. Like, the best team is always going to be the most hated team. But, like, they're, okay. so I would say I'm it's sure. more indifference. Indifference has been the, the collective re- response to the Warriors. And that's what I would take offense to if I were, like, a uh, Warriors fan. But, like... I feel like it's more resentment, maybe, than, like, pure hate at yeah, this point. Yeah, they're not but really vilified is my, is my only point there. Yeah, I think... But I, I, I don't know. Do you agree with me that Cousins easily could be vilified? Like, if this doesn't work, I mean, the the long track record of criticism that he's faced and in my eyes it's often been justified is going to come back like never before if this doesn't work quickly yeah maybe i th- i think you know it all comes back to steph if steph is hitting eight to ten threes a game all of this is going to be really easy and and we're probably not going to even worry about boogie yeah what did you get any sense from the people in santa cruz like what his health is actually looking like right now they said when he first went down there in mid-December, uh, he was, you know, not in shape, basically, because he hadn't been able to run. Yeah. Um, they, they, they noticed a lot of progress uh, over the couple weeks. Uh, w- you know, when he was kind of back and forth a few times. They noted significant progress. Um, they felt like his, you know, his ball skills, his shot and all that were, like, in pretty good places. Uh, but he wasn't going super hard at that point. Right. Um, they, they also said, like, their main takeaway was that they thought he was in a pretty good place mentally. I think knowing that the finish line was getting closer at that stage of his rehabilitation had him in a better mood. I think that like anyone, you know, in that long of a recovery, that difficult of a recovery, I think there was some pretty dark days for him, you know, cause it's just yeah. like, he's never really faced and His brother told me this is like, uh, he's never been like that injury prone guy or anyone who's had to have basketball taken away from him or even really considered it. You know, he, a lot of times he was playing huge minutes uh, earlier in his career you know, never really had problems with it, you know, minor things here and there, but that's about it. So it was a real shock to his system. And, um, but as his brother told me, like his passion for basketball is very, very deep. I mean, he described, you know, Boogie almost being like away from home starting in eighth grade because he was playing travel basketball so much. Yeah. And basically it being his life for most of his life. And, um, so I think he's legitimately coming back with a major chip on his shoulder with a lot to prove. And I guess I would like to see him prove and answer a lot of these questions. And I would love for his body to hold up for him to be able to do that. Me too. And that's part of what I wonder about is, um, you know, he, over the summer, people were saying, you know, maybe maybe he can come back in November, December. He's had an extra month and a half here um, where I think, like, I want to believe that that just means he's going to be that much closer to, to where he'll be in the end. Uh, but this stuff is always kind of, you just sort of have to wait and see. Um, the boogie thing, though, it shouldn't be overstated just how awful that injury was, particularly the timing. I mean, it literally cost him like $145 million. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And so, yeah, I and think a, for that reason, full, we should root for a full, him. A full year of his life, and it happened in the closing seconds of a game where he's chasing a rebound trying to make a hustle play, right? Like, that is just bum luck all around. It was awful. It, and he was playing really yeah. well. That like he was having a great year last year for New Orleans. Yep. 
And but I think that the sympathy factor, you know, how we were talking about the wide berth for Gordon Hayward, how much uh, people have sort of given him uh, the chance to work himself back and all that. I don't think Boogie's going to get those benefits of the doubt. You no, know, I think that the criticism is going to be there not only because of who he's been in the past, but of who the Warriors are and the stakes in Golden State and the scrutiny and all of that. Uh, I think it was really smart for Kerr to bring him back as a starter uh, because that way it doesn't get into this thing of like, okay, are you showing him enough respect or all that? You know, if you start him but play him smaller minutes, I think that looks better than bringing him off the bench and playing him smaller minutes, uh, even if it's the same amount of minutes. So it's going to be fascinating to track this. But I, I would caution everybody, avoid the early overreactions. Uh, let's see how this looks in, in three or four weeks. And you know, ultimately, if Steph pulls them through this, it could be much to do about nothing, which I think is uh, your version of how this could go. Right. I'm not totally sold it's going to be quite that easy. Well, we'll see where it goes. All I care about is that everyone understands that the Warriors are not the most hated team in sports. you got you got to be kidding me with that. When you were talking, right, so I was thinking is, about who it. Who is the most hated? You know what? I, so I was thinking, the, if the Patriots win on Sunday and go to another Super Bowl, it is just going to make me absolutely miserable i don't even care about the nfl anymore i'm just so sick of dealing with that team every really? year in february you're a big boston fan no god mr Masshole. that's right you got me <laughs> me and wick we'll be at the super bowl i don't even know where the super bowl is this year um no the uh the patriots have to be the most hated and then beyond that i, I guess it's probably yankees i don't know do the yankees still suck i haven't watched baseball in 15 years <laughs> <laughs> great podcast topic yeah <laughs> i think that's where we're gonna leave it andrew but we should tell people keep the lantern submissions coming as you can tell the creativity is just all over the board i love it uh check out at ben.golver on instagram to participate in the lantern as i mentioned earlier send all comments questions concerns to openfloormail at gmail.com let's do a couple more quick plugs here andrew because we want people to go to apple Podcasts, search for open floor that's two words find our page smash the five stars and leave us a review we really really appreciate it and also we're on the world famous radio.com slash open floor check us out there hey andrew until next week i'll talk to you all right man take it easy